Well, good morning, church. Good morning, balcony. Good morning, cold water. Good morning to cold water, especially. I heard there's a big crew uh, out there this morning, and uh, so we're, we're cheering for you and continuing to think of you and pray for you. Well, wherever you are, here, there, uh, in the balcony, wherever you are, we'd love for you, if you have a Bible, to open it up to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. That's on page 500 in the church Bibles there, if you're kind of new to the Bible. The book of Psalms is the easiest book of the Bible to find, usually, unless there's a whole bunch of weird stuff going on in the back of your Bible. Usually, if you open up your Bible right to the middle, you get to Psalms. Uh, So we're looking for Psalm 100. And as you find that Psalm, when you find that Psalm, you'll notice that it has a little ascription or a superscription. That's the part usually written in smaller font just above the Psalm. This one says simply, a Psalm for giving thanks. That sounds about right for this, this morning, doesn't it? We have an awful lot to be thankful for in this place. We're seeing young, young people getting married. We're hearing uh, little ones, uh, the sound of, of newborns. That's something to be thankful for in our culture where uh, marriage is being delayed or deferred or rejected altogether, where birth rates falling off a cliff. That's something to be thankful for. And we're seeing open Bibles in here. That's something to be thankful for too in a world where people are falling captive to lies and fantasy and deception. And then we've been blessed with harmony, with health, and wholeness in here, too. Well, it seems like the whole world is dividing and falling into conflict. So the Lord has been good to us in this place. We say amen? Amen. Amen. And I hope there's no confusion. I assume there's no confusion as to the source of all those blessings. The Bible's real clear. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And by the way, isn't that something to be thankful for? In a world where everything is changing so fast, I think, to, to be honest with you, like, and I don't even, I don't, actually, uh, my daughter was making fun of me yesterday for, uh, for my music selections, and she's saying, you've become such an old man. And, um, and I, I, don't, I don't think it's just that, but I will tell you, it feels like the world is changing so incredibly fast right now. It feels like the sort of change that used to happen over a decade takes place over a weekend. Like, if your phone breaks on Friday, by Monday you feel like, what planet is this? Like, I don't even understand what's happening. It, it is, it's remarkable. And, and so what a blessing to worship a God who changes not, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You can wake up tomorrow. You can wake up the day after that. You can wake up 10,000 years from now, should the Lord tarry. And guess what? You will look up and you will see the same God. He is the Lord and he changeth not. And that's reason to be thankful right there. So we're thankful people. But even still, even as thankful as we are, it's good to have a guide in front of us. It's good to have some instructions, a little bit of a manual for giving thanks, and that's what this psalm is. The Bible just doesn't just expect us to be thankful. It understands sometimes you wake up and you don't feel thankful. So the Bible doesn't just, just expect that you're going to come into the house feeling thankful today. No, it first of all commands that, tells you that you, you should do it whether you feel like it or not, and then it tells you, how to do it. So we're thankful for that. And we need that. We're even thankful for that rhythm, for that perspective, for that assumption, because actually we live in a world right now that that would have us be captive to our feelings. We live in a culture right now that says, you know, if you don't feel thankful, then it would actually be inauthentic 
for you, for you to express gratitude this morning. And the Bible cuts right across that nonsense. The Bible says, whether you feel like it or not, give thanks to the Lord today. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Shout to the Lord all the earth. Know that the Lord is God. Come into his presence with singing. You know, those are all commands. One of the things that's different about the biblical worldview than the cultural worldview is we believe that feelings can and should and must be spoken to. You know, the the difference between stability and happiness on the one side and, and instability and anxiety and depression on the other side is on one side you're listening to your feelings and on the other side you're speaking to your feelings. That is often the case. I'm not saying that's all there is to it, but that is a great deal to it. The the Bible says that you need to, if you don't have the right emotions this morning, if you came in and you're not feeling it, then you need to stir up. You need to speak to the feelings that are out of line, and you need to stir up right affections in your heart. I'm thankful that the Bible treats us like adults and assumes that we can speak to our feelings, that we can coach our emotions. And that's what this psalm is here for. Form thy heart by the words of the psalm. That counsel goes all the way back to St. Augustine. The the psalms are actually intended as a heart tuner. I'm a terrible guitar player. Well, that's something you can be thankful for right now, that Rob was not sick this morning. I got like four chords, and Pharaoh Pharaoh is the top song that I know. So that's what you'd be singing uh, on the Sundays when Rob is sick. But uh, you, you know the tuners in your guitar? You, you strum it, and it tells you what's out of tune. You've got to tighten here, tighten here. That's what the psalms are. They are heart tuners. And this is a psalm that's been given to tune our hearts in the direction of gratitude and thanksgiving. So we're going to read it this morning, and we're going to appreciate it from three different angles uh, psalm, obviously, I suppose it goes without saying, maybe not. This, this is a, a poem. Psalms are, are poetic prayers, by and large. So it's a poem. It's not an argument, like uh, you might see in a letter from the Apostle Paul. It's not a story, like the stories that we've been reading in the Acts of the Apostles. It's a poem. And as such, it has poetic features. So there's balance here, uh, for example. There are two stanzas. You can probably just see that just by looking at the way it's presented in your Bible. There's two stanzas or verses, and uh, each of those stanzas has a number of imperatives and then a grounding or a reason. So there's some basic structure there. And then there's a little bit of mirroring. Poetic mirroring is often, it's a very common feature in Hebrew poetry, so we'll talk about that. We've got seven imperatives here, and the outer imperatives kind of mirror each other, and then it just sort of directs your attention to the, to, the, to the middle. So there's some features here, but because this is a poem, I think we should begin just by reading it, and uh, reading it the way the author wrote it, and then we'll try to appreciate it from a couple of different angles. So this is a psalm for giving thanks. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all 
generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I mentioned, I want to appreciate this psalm from three different angles, vantage points. I want us, first of all, to notice the commands, then I want us to see the rationale, and then finally, I want us to think about the extent, okay? So commands, rationale, extent. We'll begin with the commands. There are seven imperative verbs, seven command verbs in this psalm, and I want to point them out to you in order before we go through them one by one, because actually the order is part of the messaging. And again, it's a very common feature in Hebrew poetry. There are seven of them. And as I read them, you're going to notice the first one kind of sounds like the last one, like bookends on a shelf. And then the second one kind of sounds like the second last one. And the third one kind of sounds like the third last one, all functioning to draw your attention towards the middle one, which holds the whole thing together. All right, so let's, let's go through them, and I think we're going to just pop them up there, and then we'll go through them one in order. Okay, so the first one is shout, verse 1. Now, the ESV actually has make a joyful noise. Uh, that's not wrong. I'm just not convinced it's, it's super helpful. Uh, it's not as accurate. It's, this is actually, it's not so much about, you know, ringing bells or, uh, you know, kicking the, what is the, I'm not even sure what I'm doing there, the snare drum. Is that what I'm doing? Yes. It's not so much about just making noise. Uh, this is a vocal sound. And so shout, shout's probably better there. Number two, uh, in verse 2a, we've got serve. Uh, if you've got an NIV Bible open in front of you, that'll probably have that as worship. Actually, I think serve is better. Um, the, the English word worship is almost synonymous now with sing, and the Hebrew word that's used here is, is bigger than that. It's whole life, so we'll talk about that. Third one, third of these imperative or command verbs you see in verse 2b is come. And then you get to this middle one, no, K-N-O-W, verse 3a, no. This is the centerpiece of the hymns the focus point or the climax, you might say. So a lot of uh, Hebrew poems are built, they often say like a ziggurat, but I'm not sure if that's helpful because you might not know what a ziggurat is. Ziggurat is like a pyramid that's shaped like a staircase that goes up like this, and then there's a platform at the top. And so there's three steps up, platform, three steps down, right? And the bottom steps mirror each other, middle steps mirror each other, etc. So that's kind of what we've got here. So the centerpiece is know, know the Lord, know who he is. That's the key. All right. Fifth one, enter, that's verse 4a, and then the sixth one is give thanks, 4b, and then bless, 4c. And you can see, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see the mirroring there, right? Shout, that's vocal. Seven, that's bless. Two, serve, give thanks. Serve is actually a priestly term, right? Give thanks. And then we've got come and enter, those are kind of the same, all focusing our attention on no. All right, let's go through those in order. First, shout. I mentioned this is a better translation than the ESV's make a joyful noise. And again, that's not wrong. It's just not super helpful. Uh, when, I, when I hear make a joyful noise, I think of noisemakers. Remember, um, you remember those two clapping hands on a stick that they used to give you? I don't know why people give these gifts to our children, right? People do that when they don't like you, right? They say... I give that to your kids. Or, or the, the monkey uh, with clapping hands or the rattle. Uh, one Sunday, and I'm sure that it was accidental, kids bring all kinds of stuff into church that moms and dads don't know about. Or, you know, you just open up the diaper bag and there's stuff in there. I remember one Sunday a kid got a rattle and was just going like this, and he was making a joyful noise. That wasn't helpful. That's, that's the ESV. That kid, need, that kid needs an NIV Bible, right? <laughs> do, you, do you remember... Uh, do you remember during the pandemic when uh, singing was restricted? By the way, I was so, so uncompliant inside my mask there, just I confess that. Um, but so we'd, we'd play the songs behind the, you know, the telephone booth screens there. 
And, uh, and then, because we weren't supposed to sing, we thought, all right, well, we'll give out the noisemakers. You remember that? That was easily the like, peak goofiness of COVID. But also peak entertaining. I was secretly amused by that. Because not only did we have like, the noisemakers and the tambourines, uh, but also we gave out purple ribbons. Do you remember that? That was, my, that was the best compensation in COVID. Big, beefy construction workers waving purple ribbons in a Baptist church. I was, I was here for that. I was excited about it. I, just, I don't even know why I shared that. It's nothing to do with anything. Point is... He's just still remembering that fondly. That's not what's being talked about here. Derek Kidner is wonderful here. He says, the joyful noise is not the special contribution of the tone deaf, right? Like it's not a rattle you give to the person who can't sing. Still less of the convivial, but the equivalent in worship to the homage shout or fanfare to a king, as in 95.1 or the almost identical Psalm 66 verse 1. I like that. Homage shout. So this is a loud pledge of allegiance. That's what we're after here. This is the Christian equivalent of oorah. You remember the, have you ever seen in a movie, oorah is the distinctive shout of the Marine Corps. So when two Marines pass each other on the street, they say oorah. You don't don't say that to a sailor in the Navy. You don't say that to a soldier in the Army. You don't say that to a pilot in the Air Force. That is only for the Marines. That is their insider shout of loyalty. That's what we're talking about here. He is saying, make your allegiance known. Don't be a fence sitter. Don't be a hokey pokey Christian, right? You got your one foot in, you got your other foot out. Like, be all in and make sure everyone around you knows it. God is good. He's done a lot for you. He made you. He created you. He saved you. He's restoring you. He's rescued you. He is renewing you, so let's have a loud shout of allegiance for Team Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's even do better than that because this is, this is Thanksgiving Sunday. So let's have a loud shout of allegiance for Team Jesus. Amen. It's better. We used to have an amen guy over here where if ever the congregation was falling asleep or whatever, it didn't even matter. It could be like at a boring point of the sermon. I'd just do this, and I'd get a loud amen. We need to bring that back. Find the amen guy. That's what we're looking for here. Don't be shy, brothers and sisters. I think as Canadians, this is a struggle for us. I'll be honest with you. There's, you know, lots of differences between Canadian and American Christians. You know, some good on each side, but I think one of the things we're a little shy about is in voicing our allegiance. So the Bible's pushing back on that emotion, the emotion of shyness, and saying, shout, make your allegiance known. That's the first imperative. Second one is serve. Again, if if you've got a different translation, it might be worship there. Both are okay. Uh, Both are good. This is a great example of how it can be helpful to have two, two different English translations of the Bible Uh, so that you can catch these nuances. Again, the the challenge is, in English, the word worship has become basically synonymous with sing. And what the Hebrew word is saying here certainly includes sing, but it's bigger. It's bigger. This is actually the Hebrew word that is used to describe the service of priests in the Old Testament. This is whole life-wide, as the Apostle Paul shows us in Romans 12, when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your bodies, your whole life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, again, depending on what translation of the Bible you have, some of your translations have, which is your reasonable service of worship. They try to 
Stretch that out so you get the sense. It's more than just singing. It's whole life service. And it's more than just emotionalism. It's actually a reasonable service of worship. A, a, a service of worship in response is really what it's saying there. And, and, and so, yeah, for sure, sing, 100%. But then after that, serve. And give him your voice, yes. And along with that, your whole life. Live for him. Be his man or his woman wherever you go this week. That's what's being called for here. So we're going to shout. We're going to serve. The third imperative here is come. That's in verse 2b. Now, I mentioned that this third imperative is going to mirror the fifth imperative, which is enter. We'll get to that in just a minute. So the idea here is to come in, right, to enter. Uh, We put on the doors as you come in. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come on in and be refreshed in your salvation graces. Come on in and and be refreshed in, in the Christian fellowship. There is something special about being in here. You know, Christians say all kinds of things, and things get said, and some of them are helpful and some of them are not. But one of the things I think maybe isn't very helpful is, uh, you know, we used to say the church is not a building. It's the people. And, uh, yeah, there's a sense in in, in which that's true. Um, Like, we're still the church when we all go home and eat turkey and pass out on the couch, right? Like, that's, whether it's at your house or my house, like, we're, we're the church, and, and yet, do you know what the word church actually means? In, in the original Greek, it, it means to assemble. The essence of the term is the gathering of, of the saints. It's us together. And that matters. And I would argue it actually matters a lot more than North Americans tend to think because we're individualists, right? So we tend to think in terms of me. I'm the church. Wherever I go, I'm just out there as the church. Not, not really. You may be the church scattered, but the essence of the term is the church gathered. And so, you know, am I saying that you can't worship out there? No, of course you can, right? You can pop a CD into your car or, or you know, download something on your Apple tune uh, as the kids do today, whatever, right? You can, you can worship the Lord in your car for sure. You can, you can worship out there, but understand this. Worship out there is actually fueled, constrained, and empowered by worship in here. How, how we are, who we are out there is the overflow of who we are together in here. And so I remember this being uh, illustrated to me as a kid at the campfire. Um, you take a coal, and that coal, yes, it can still shine, and it can still be bright outside of the fire, but for how long? And, and so you've got to bring that coal back to the fire for its life to endure together matters. COVID reminded us of that, didn't it? Our coals were burning low in the dog days of COVID. And maybe that's part of God's purpose in it. You know, at the end of the day, if you're a Bible reader, you can't say other than that COVID was ordained by God. You might have hated it. I hated it too. But you can't get away from the fact that it was ordained by God. The Bible, if the Bible's clear about anything, it is clear about the fact that God is sovereign over all things. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none who can deliver from my hand, saith the Lord. So maybe part of the purpose of God in ordaining that experience for us was actually to remind us how much together matters. Maybe God was rattling our cage 
a little bit because the principle of gatheredness was starting to fade in the evangelical mind. You know, when I was a kid, when I was a boy, evangelicals went to church, right? That is actually typically what distinguished us from, you know, mainline believers. Uh, we, we were church-going believers, nine Sundays out of ten, right? And I say nine Sundays out of ten just because, you know, people go on vacation, people get sick, but other than that, you, and, and by the way, the bar was pretty high for a sick day when I was a kid. In, in, in my house, you had to bleed or vomit to qualify for a sick day, and preferably both. And you couldn't just say, oh, mom, I was upstairs, you know, vomiting. She wanted a sample, <laughs> right? Hardcore. And that, that was across the board in, in my childhood. But, but things had begun to change. You know, we drifted down to three Sundays out of four. And then actually, it was interesting, studies came out in North America, evangelicals were two out of four weak Christians prior to the pandemic. And it was interesting, that's what we were talking about as a board of elders. The, the guys who were on the board in 2019 remember that. And, and we were addressing that from the pulpit just as COVID struck. Anyone connecting those dots? What's God trying to do there, right? He, he put us on starvation rations for two years. Why? Because as the old saying goes, hunger is the best sauce. You hungry now, church? Then come. Come like we used to. Come like we ought to. Come every week. Come nine Sundays out of ten. Come because you need to. Come because you want to. Come because you have to. Or your little coal will die. So come. Come and be refreshed and renewed and restored. Come into his presence with singing. Praise the Lord. All right, now here we come to the, to the centerpiece, the hinge, right? The top of that ziggurat thing. The fourth or middle imperative here is no. No, that's in verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The only praise, the only thanksgiving that matters to God is that which is rooted in personal knowledge and understanding of him. Pagans can sing worship song, right? You, you get a, a musically talented pagan and they can, they can sing that worship song better than you and I can sing it. And AI, artificial intelligence, can write a good psalm. None of that matters to God. What matters is when the people who know him express their love and gratitude to him. That's what matters. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him as your creator? Or do you think that you are a God unto yourself? Worship is fundamentally the response of creatures to their creator. And that's where it all begins. It's, it's amazing as a Bible reader, I'm sure you've noticed this. In the Bible consistently, there's this fundamental crossroads that people come to. You see it everywhere. It's Old Testament and New Testament. Paul talks about it in Romans 1, but it's also in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, right? Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. He's coaching himself to deny the reality of God. In Romans 1, Paul says, hey, what, what should be obvious to, to people about God? See, it, it, it's seen to them. They, they can see it in the stars. They can see it in creation. They can hear the echo of it in their own soul. 
But what do they do? Paul says in Romans 1.18, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So Old Testament and New Testament, the Bible says, listen, if you want to live a self-indulgent life, if, if you want to give yourself everything that your desires ask for, then you've got to come to that crossroads and you've got to fight down your awareness of God. And, you, and then you turn left. And down left is every road of paganism and idolatry. Down the, the foolish road of denying the fact that, that there is a God. But all life, all right religion, all right worship, it comes from, from the other turn at that crossroads. Saying, no, no, I will acknowledge that there is a God. More than that, I will pursue the knowledge of this God. I want to know God. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, right? It's that desire to know that leads you into, into real worship. Psalmist talks about that. He talks about knowing God as our maker. He talks about that fundamental turn. But then he also talks about something more intimate than that. Further down the road, he, he speaks in terms of we. He speaks on behalf of the worshiping community. We are his creature. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. Well, of course, if you're a Bible reader, you know that's covenant language. God's the good shepherd. To be his sheep is to be in right relationship with him. Do you know him like that? Do you know the Lord as your shepherd? Because that's who God wants to receive worship from, from people who confess him as their creator, their savior, and their Lord. When those people gather together, God draws near. Praise the Lord. So that's the theological center of the psalm. God wants to be worshipped by those who know him. To know God is to worship him. And when we know him and we respond in worship and thanksgiving, God is pleased. Now, climbing back down from this pinnacle, we have three more imperatives that mirror ones that have come before. The fifth imperative is enter. We talked about how this goes with come, imperative number three. We're told here to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Those words in Hebrew rhyme. Not a lot of Hebrew poetry is based on rhyming, but some is, so there's some assonance here, some rhyming. Toda and tahilah, those are the words. Now, they're very overlapping, very much overlapping in Hebrew to an extent that perhaps they're not in English. But if there's a difference, it would be that praise focuses on God's attributes, whereas thanksgiving focuses on his actions. So we praise God for who he is, and we thank him for what he has done. And we need to enter the assembly to be reminded of those things so we can respond to God as we should. The sixth imperative here is give thanks. That's just one word in Hebrew. It's two words in English, but it's one word in Hebrew. I want to read you the definition of this word because it's very helpful. Here's from the the Hebrew dictionary there. This word means to express praise, to give thanks, to extol, to make a public confession, to make an admission. To praise is to speak of the excellence of someone or something, to give thanks has a focus on the gratitude of the speaker. So this has to do with speaking publicly, expressing your gratitude publicly. Very close to to what we mean when we talk in church about testimony time. A testimony time is not supposed to be about you. It's actually supposed to be an expression of your gratitude towards God for what he has done. And that's a part of, of a good worship service. You know, some, sometimes we, we get together as a, as a uh, leadership team and we, we talk about the worship pie because I think the pieces that come easiest for us as a church, just us as evangelicals, is the singing and the preaching. And that's a part of it. That, those are slices in the pie. 
But we struggle with some of the other pieces that are legitimate pieces, like this one, the testimony piece. But this is a part of worship. Part of what it means to be a grateful people and a thankful people is to stand up in the assembly and to speak out of a place of gratitude. And so just to warn you today, we are going to do that at the conclusion of the sermon. We were talking about this just the other day because we're reading a book about, about worship. And I said, you know, we used to do this. When I first came to the church, we were about 290 people, and we were divided into two services. So it was really, we almost, if you, if you remember, I don't know how many people were here in those days, we used to do this almost every week. We'd go around with the microphone. And it was just easy to do. When there's 90 people in this room, it's just easy to do. You just zip around. Everybody says a few things they're thankful for. Catch a few praise, you know, thanks uh, and, and request items. And then you head to, head to prayer. And it was very nice. Harder to do when there's 400 people in the room. But we're going to do it today. So if your palms are already sweating, because I'm like, I'm out of practice on this. I haven't done this since 2008. Uh, we're going to do it in, in just a minute. We're, we're going to spend some time speaking together from a place of gratitude. It's good for us. It's good for us. All right, and now finally, the seventh imperative is bless. You can see that in verse 4c, bless his name. To bless God literally means to speak good of God. I know that's not good grammar, but it literally, that's literally what it means because the prefix, you know this already. You know the English word eulogy. Well, the pre- prefix eu means good. So a eulogy, an eulogy, means to speak good of someone. You do it at a funeral. You speak good of the dead. That's what a sermon is. In a sermon, we speak good of someone. We speak good of God, who is not dead, of course, but living. A worship service culminates and climax, climaxes in good speaking about God. Bless his name. All right, that's the blueprint for thanksgiving. This is a psalm for giving thanks. So this is telling us how it should be done. But also just want to take a minute and look at what the psalm says about why it should be done. I said that we consider the command, the rationale, and the extent. The last two are going to be much quicker. In terms of rationale or reason, we see two things in the psalm. I mentioned that there are multiple layers of uh, poetic device structure. And the most obvious of that, you can see very easily for yourself, there are two stanzas or two verses and, uh, and so you can see them. They, they, they're roughly the same size. They're usually, the, the verse indications don't help you there, but the, they're roughly the same size and they usually stand out that way in the way that your English Bible prints them. And what happens is in each of those verses, so think of these as like verses in a hymn. In each of those verses, there are several imperatives, several of those command words. And then at the end of each section, there's a grounding, why you should do this. So again, if this was a hymn, Right? For those of you who remember, you know, when we used to sing songs under the old red, you know, Baptist hymn book, you'd have, say, three verses in a hymn. And you could trace it down, and they were all parallel. So verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 3 all started at the top, and they had the same basic meter and stuff. And then at the end, there would be a closing line for each of the three. So it was, if you'd never used a hymn book before, it could be confusing. You don't just read one, two, three, and then drop down four, five, six. It's one, two, three, and then four, five, six, blah, blah, blah. Same idea. So we've got these imperatives. Then we've got a grounding. You'll see them for yourself. Okay, rationale. First one is found in the second half of verse three, because that's the bottom of the first verse, the stanza. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So again, this is part of knowing God, but it's also one of the whys of worship. Why do we worship God? Because he made us. 
We belong to him. We are his people generally, and then if we are in covenant relationship with him, we are his people personally. We are the sheep of his pasture. So we worship God first of all because he is our creator and redeemer. And by the way, this is the base rationale for worship all across the Bible, and in fact, all the way into the future, into eternity. 80 billion years from now, this is why you will be worshiping God in eternity. We know that because in Revelation 4 and 5, John gets a vision of the worship that's happening in eternity, and he hears what they say. So listen, listen to what he hears the 24 elders saying as they worship God. They say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. So why are they worshiping God? First and foremost, because he's the creator. Then a few verses later in Revelation 5, John hears the elders and the four living creatures worshiping God again. And they say, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. They're joined then by thousands and thousands and thousands of human worshipers. They all say together, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, might and honor, glory and blessing. So why else do we worship God? They worship God because he redeemed us. We've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. God has redeemed for himself a people out of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Praise the Lord. So this is about belonging. We praise God first and foremost because of who he is to us. He is our creator. He's our redeemer. He's the one who made us. He's the one who saved us. Praise the Lord. But now there's a second rationale given in Psalm 100 that reinforces the first. You can see that at verse 5. So this is at the very bottom of the psalm. It says this, we should be blessing God's name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So we worship the Lord because he is good. His steadfast love endures endures forever. God is good. This is so important for us to understand because people will often drop out of worship. I still remember very early on in my pastorate here, there was a, a, a dear brother whose family fell apart and he had been a leader. He'd been very involved here and, and his family fell apart. His you know, wife left him. It was a very sad story actually. And then all of a sudden he just, he, he said to me, I I can't come to worship. He used to sit right there up in the balcony. He said, I can't come anymore. I can't sing to God. God hasn't been good to me. And I wish I had answered better. I don't remember how, I, how exactly I answered, but I wish I'd had this psalm at my fingertips. Because what the Bible's saying is really important. Like, you may not feel like this is important today. It might be important for you 10 years from now. Because what if your life isn't good 10 years from now? Will you not be here? Ten Thanksgivings from now? What the Bible is saying is that, is that ultimately our gratitude, our thanksgiving to God is, is rooted in who he is. It's, it's not about how good our life is. Because we're in process right now, right? Like we're mid-story. Like God is redeeming for himself a people, but it's not over yet. And so there's still lots of sin in the world. There's still lots of struggling. There's still lots of ups and downs, still lots of pain, still lots of valleys of the shadow of death, right? But it is going to a very good place, and it is overseen by a very good God. That's why we're here. But it's very dangerous 
to ground your praise and thanksgiving to God, either in your own personal experiences or in your own personal relationships. Because you, you, if you've ever been on TikTok right now, and by the way, you probably shouldn't, but if you ever have, the big thing on TikTok right now is deconstruction stories, meaning people will make a quick video explaining why they no longer worship God. And, and young people love these things, and they watch them, and they get millions of, of hits and views. And, and they're not all the same, but the biggest common denominator is I don't worship God anymore because Christians are jerks. It's like, but wait, what? You understand, we don't come to church to worship each other. We, we didn't come here to be, you know, hey, thank you, and, and thank you, and thank you. No, it, we came here to thank God who does not change. He is the Lord and he changes not. He is good. And listen, I understand, sometimes we're not. Like the thing about the church is that we're all in process. And so you have good days and bad days as people, don't you? And, and, and I'll just say this, some of you are a little jerkier than you will be 10 years from now. How about that? Is that okay? Because we change by one degree of glory to the next. So if you catch Christian Bob, right, early on in his sanctification journey, he's a jerk. Ten years from now, though, you'll like him a lot better. And so it depends on when you're catching people, depends on what's going on. Man, who knows what kind of experience you're going to have at the horizontal level on any given Sunday morning. But you know what? I can guarantee you one thing when you come in here. The Lord will be good. He is the Lord. He changes not. And he is good. That's why we thank him. And his steadfast love endures forever. You know, that's one of the most repeated phrases in the Bible. Do you ever get to that psalm if you're a Bible reader and you're doing the RMM Bible reading? So twice a year you bump into this psalm where it's just people saying for his steadfast love endures forever like 7,000 times. And you're like, what is going on here? Right? So somebody's like, yeah, I had a great coffee this morning. Steadfast love endures forever. He rescued me from the Egyptians. Steadfast love endures forever. And it just goes on and on and on. You're like, what is happening? And the reason that phrase is like a favorite phrase in the Bible is because it means his covenant commitment to us. That's what the phrase means. His covenant commitment to us is eternal. It'll stretch past your life. Like if you're in a relationship with God, you've been caught up into his goodness, not just his goodness now, his eternal goodness. 80 billion years from now, you're going to be enjoying the goodness of the Lord. That's why we praise him. Imagine that. Imagine a world with all sin and all causes of sin removed from it. Imagine a river. We've been, if you're in the RMM Bible reading plan, we just got into the whole temple thing, the last seven chapters of Ezekiel. Imagine a river that comes out from the throne of God that descends to the earth and a, a river that makes the deserts burst into bloom. A river that restores the ravages of environmental decay. Makes the whole earth Eden again. Imagine friendships and families no longer divided by death, disease, and deception. Imagine work that isn't frustrating. Imagine lions lying down with lambs. Imagine children playing over the nest of an asp 
what that is communicating is a perfectly restored world that meets our needs and is no longer a danger to any of us. Imagine that world. That is the goodness of God that has been prepared for you that will never end. You'll enjoy it for all eternity. And imagine in the center of it all, Jesus. That's the undying world. That is the everlasting goodness that God has prepared for those who love him. So praise the Lord, bless the Lord, thank the Lord, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And then lastly, and real quickly, let's talk about the extent. How far and how wide is our thanksgiving to go? We see two things here. They're the bookends of the psalm. So first of all, in verse one, we're told, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. So this is an invitation for everyone, all the earth. The plan in the Bible is for us to come in here, to enter into the assembly, and to speak good of God, to get fired up, to have our coal reignited, and then to go out, to shine and invite others in. Now listen, sometimes in the Bible, I'm going to stand over here, okay? You look at me over here. It's okay, this is why we have ushers, they're fantastic. Okay. Sometimes in the Bible, we, we talked about this not too long ago in our preaching workshop. Uh, sometimes in the Christian circles, I say, when we, when we talk, we contrast come and see versus go and tell. And so we say, what, you know, what is the mission of the church? How do we do this? Is church a come and see thing or a go and tell thing? And of course, the answer is it's both. Because what would you go and tell if you did not first come here and see. What you're doing when you go and tell is you are sharing what you have just come and seen. And you go to the nations to invite them to the house of the Lord. That's the picture that is given to us in Isaiah chapter 2 where it talks about the mountain of the Lord's house will be raised up higher than every other mountain. It will become the focal point. It will grow and grow while everything around us crumbles and falls. And what does it say next? And nations will stream to it, and instruction shall go forth from Zion. And so that's the, that's the rhythm. We go and tell. We invite others in so that they can see what we have seen. We want to go so that the nations can come. Will you say amen to that? Now you need to do it. Your homework is this week, invite somebody out there in your world to come with you and see what you have seen. That's your homework. And secondly, this invitation is to go to all the earth and to all generations. So church is not just for old people. It's not just for the ladies. It's not just for the children. It is for men and women, boys and girls, young and old. There is no such thing as targeted church in the Bible. The whole point is for us to worship God together with one another, with all generations. Can I tell you something? Children need to see their parents Worshiping. And I will tell you this. Grandparents live to see their grandchildren worshiping, don't they? And so we need this. Church is a a place where families should be brought together and, and healed. Not a place where, you know, all the kids go to that church in town and all the seniors go to that church in town. No, that's that's not the vision. We want to be here together, assembled as families. 
And if you don't have a family, one will be provided for you. That's the greatest thing about the church. Jesus said that to Peter. Peter was concerned that he was going to lose his whole family for following Jesus. And Jesus said to Peter, don't you worry about that. You're going to have 100 brothers, 100 sisters, 100 mothers in the church. This is a family. This is our family. And we can be thankful for that as well today, can't we, brothers and sisters? So, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this instruction in giving thanks. Lord, we need it because we are a cold people and we are a self-focused people. We're an easily distracted people, uh, Lord, and so we need some guidance. We need some instruction. You've got to walk us through it step by step, and we're thankful for what you have done. Holy Spirit, would you even now, as we enter into this next phase of our worship, would you even now help us? Would you loosen our tongue? Would you give us some strength and some spine so that we could stand and express our gratitude to the Lord among his people, we ask in Jesus' name.